podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. That's beautiful. Uh, it's Pod Three Eight Three, and it's the penultimate penultimate podcast of this season. It's also the first podcast since Roy Hodgson has announced he is leaving Crystal Palace. So we will, of course, be talking about that as well as two games against Aston Villa and Arsenal. Uh, and to do that this week, I have got a fantastic panel of people that were all at the Arsenal game. So we will indulge in our thoughts from that. First off, Jack Pierce is here. Hello to you. How are you doing? Hello, JD. Yeah, still feeling the uh, the rigors of a, of a drive back. First time the car's been in fifth gear for about six months. So uh, <laughs> both myself and the car are are recovering after a, a hard evening. Good. Yeah, I was exactly the same. Actually, it was a much turns out it was a much longer drive than I remembered uh, to get out of here. But a very clear road, so I could go over those three Arsenal goals in my head. It was great. Um, Don Fifield, hello to you. How second time in twenty four hours that I've spoken to you. How are you? I'm fine, JD. How are you? I'm good. I'm well. I'm I'm half a person. I feel incredibly tired because I got back last night at uh, about one o'clock. Had to mix the pod and then write an article for the Independent, which I stupidly agreed to do. I don't know why I did that. Um, but apart from that, I'm good. But how are you? You look you look quite sprightly. I don't feel sprightly at all. My voice is gone, um, which is largely through booing Kieran Tierney for some reason yesterday. <laughs> um, so I'm slightly husky, but uh, it's nice to be husky again after 14 months without screaming abuse at a football match. Well said, well said. <laughs> and our final panellist, it's always good to have him on, It's the one and only John Curran. John, are you husky after last night? I'm a little bit husky, but as I was saying before we pressed record, I've had two teeth extracted today and um, two implants put in. And apart from the pain, the worst thing is the dentist gave me a kind of fact sheet of what I have to do and I can't have any alcohol for 48 hours. <gasps> um, see, have you got any good dentist stories that you could relate? I mean, <laughs> it's very f- yeah, they're, they're, they're lots actually. And I was hoping that JD would be, <laughs> be recorded. But they, they but, but Don, without going anywhere with it, it involves um, a, a very famous uh, dentist, your mother, and how, how she used to look after my teeth. We, I, <laughs> but we could go we could go places we literally spent I, about 10 <laughs> minutes pre 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 about that we could do a spin-off all about <laughs> teeth and mums from the local area that yeah, sounds so. weird let's move on from that um we have got lots to get through on this episode before we do any of that though we need a, a drum roll for a random patron 
Beautiful. It's Connor Reed. Hello, Connor. Hello, Connor. Thank you for joining the Patreon. And you can get all the rewards like Connor does, including the post-match podcast, a snippet of that coming up later. Podcast-only merch, sorry, patron-only merch, and access to the patron-only WhatsApp club, which this week broke through the 100 barrier of members. So as you can imagine, it's pretty busy. I didn't check it at all during the game uh, yesterday. L- looked on this morning, 700 messages. So <laughs> if you like messages, uh, like lots of messages in your WhatsApp, do join the WhatsApp group. Um, there's, some, there's some really good people in there. Um, and Dave Manley. And um, also, if you're a member of the patron, you get 20% off all merchandise, uh, which you, anyone can buy now, podcast, merch.co.uk, forward slash FIP hyphen podcast. Oh, right. Okay. Let's start with, well, there was two games, Jack, actually, in this week. I've actually almost forgotten the Villa game happened because I think the Arsenal game is so sort of fresh in our memory. Two good performances, to be honest. One win, one defeat, I'd say probably quite a harsh defeat. Firstly, what are your thoughts on those games? And then secondly, how different was it being back in Sellers and watching a game live as opposed to watching it on TV? I think in retrospect, if you having watched both those games, if you said we lost one and won one, could have applied that to either of them, really, because they were both close games and... Uh, Good games for the neutral as well. I enjoyed the Villa game, uh, particularly the second half. Um, thought we were very good. Um, I think it helps knowing that fans were going back. So it was kind of that Christmas Eve feeling, yeah. uh, end of term feeling that you know fans are going back, and and that was uh, that was really pleasing. But I thought, yeah, I thought the second half display was excellent. I, I, I think we had a very good Villa team under the cost for pretty much the whole half, and um, even when Grealish came on, I still felt. We maintain the balance of the play, which was which was really pleasing. I know we'll get onto him, but Berriese was just brilliant, um, and it's even more a shame that that he wasn't available on uh, on Wednesday evening against Arsenal because he'd just been so good just a few days before. So to get that that news about his injury before the end of this season, looking ahead already to next season, is a real shame because he was he was really good against Villa. But being back at, at Selhurst, even you know from the moment of kind of parking up and, and walking through the, the Nord Junction tunnel up to see the clock tower. It all felt, it all felt really nice and um, felt good. I, I, there was an element of testimonial about it. I'll be honest to give them yeah. uh, maybe the, the reduced crown. It did kind of bring back memories of uh, Jules's testimonial a few years ago. In fact, I think I parked in a similar spot. So it's kind of, you know, <laughs> treading old steps again as well, but you know, getting into the game, I, I was in the white horse um, for the first time since I was about nine um, it's no longer called the Croydon Advertiser Stand, which disappoints me. It's got just a White Horse Lane uh, uh, on the on the e-ticket that I got. But um, yeah, I thought the the game was was okay. I thought Arsenal had probably had the better of the first half, although we were still very much in it. Benteke was a constant uh, menace for them. And then the second half, even the, you know starting a goal down, I thought we were really really positive. And uh, the goal was well earned. Excellent delivery from Townsend, who I thought was was really positive throughout the whole game. Um, maybe we'll touch on him later, but I think the Eze injury may well have a, an impact upon the likelihood of him getting an extension. Um, but yeah, it's a you know three-one defeat in the end, but it, it didn't really feel like a defeat. And I don't think most people that were attending last night were really that bothered by the result. However, yeah. disappointing to concede two goals injury time. It was all about Roy, rightly so. Um, and and we'll get on to talking about Roy, but I, you know, since the announcement, he's just oozed the class that we all know that he has. Um, yeah. And that you know the the speech he 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 wanted to talk about the game still, even though the moment was about him, he still wanted to talk about you know losing to Arsenal, and that just sums that that man up. He just bleeds football, and he just you know rather than talk about himself or 
you know, kind of lap up the, the, the praise that is rightfully being put upon him. He still wanted to talk about, you know, letting, letting a point or three slip away in the previous game. So yeah, it was, it was nice. And I'm, I'm just chuffed that he was able to kind of have his last game in front of, you know, a selection of the fans who, who have praised him and, and really, um, you know, appreciated the job he's done for four years. Absolutely, yeah. There were so many elements going back at, uh, at the game last night that were hashtag typical Palace for me. Like I turned up with my dad and the e-ticket they'd printed, given him to print out, didn't work. I had to ring up someone to get him in through the turnstiles. And that was before he'd even got into the ground. I, I just felt like, oh, I'm home. I'm back. Oh, I'm back at this complete mess of a football club. I can't get anything right. It's just great. I've really missed this. It's not been the same watching on TV. Um, JC, what did you, what struck you about being back in the ground as opposed to watching on TV? It was a weird one. When I when I started going to Football Palace by myself, I must have been about 14 years old. And I think the average crowds were about 6,500. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was actually finally quite excited to see if that was going to kindle up... Um, kindle up kind of memories but at the time in the early 80s they were kind of um we were really bad um so there was a, there was a difference there but it, it seemed to be like one big ritual ceremony it, it didn't I, I didn't feel present I did everything I usually don't do I took both my sons to the fan park to go and get a <laughs> burger where there was kind of no one there and there was a DJ a helpless DJ kind of <laughs> pumping out that type of house music that has no place in headphones, let alone speakers. You know, it was absolutely awful. Um, and we kind of sat there and tried to kind of hype ourselves up. And then we were in the lower tier near you in the Homesdale. And it it, it was, it, I mean, of course it was great to be there. Jack Butland, I remember seeing his face light up seeing Palace fans for his first time, right? You know, oh, yeah. then you caught that and then you started feeling their importance. But, um, and then, you know, the kind of the Roy entrance was, was I mean, so important, but it did have that feel. I remember when a few years ago, I was in Umbria in Italy in a small Italian town called Amelia, and there was a seven-a-side football game going on. I had no idea. I thought I'd watch it. And it was very serious, but there was a goat in the corner and, uh, but they, the two teams walked on the pitch together and there was a massive firework display. Wow. And there were about 30 fans and a firework display and an ambulance, you know, it was almost like pomp to make it feel like a professional occasion. And it had that kind of feel of the two teams lining up for Roy kind of walking out because there just wasn't the, you know, we, we weren't all allowed to be there. So it, it did have that kind of feeling. And then, when the goals, the Arsenal goals went in, there was no noise as though we were allowed yeah. to mute the yeah. sound of the away fans. And it, over the year, TV has become the reality of what football is. You know, and that kind of, I felt that. I had to text my mates at half time saying, so what was actually going on in the game? <laughs> yeah. You know, t- tell me the real stuff that was going on there. You know, I'm not going to. So, it, it, I mean, it was great to be back. It was absolutely wonderful to be back. It was wonderful to see people like Mitchell play who I'd never seen before. It was disastrous not to have Eze there, but, you know, we can, you know, talk. But it it felt like I had to be there for having to be there to try and claw back some sense of normality. But it did have a very bizarre, abstract, mm. kind of Salvador Dali feel to it. Well, it was it was a bit sensory overload in a way, wasn't it? Mm. All these sights and smells and sounds that you don't normally get on TV. I'm just trying, I'm thinking of more sort of typical Palace things that happened. I, I nearly got hit by the ball in the warm up 
So that reminded me that obviously we need to sign a new striker in the summer. Uh, the seat next, the seat in front of me that uh, Andy tried to come and sit on was covered in bird poo. So uh, they had they had ten months to clean seats. hadn't even bothered doing that. It was just so many elements of a typical palace. But in the end, Dom, I guess the result didn't matter, did it? Really? Were you too fussed really about the performance and the goals? Or for you, was it just about being back at Sellhurst and not in front of a TV? Um. No, the result didn't matter. It would, it would have been nicer, obviously, for, for Roy to go out with a home win. But, um, you know, I, I, I was sort of, I was content at one all. That, 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 felt, that felt about right on the balance of the, of the game. And when, when Arsenal scored, it, it didn't, I wasn't, I didn't leave that, that, that match as I would have done in normal circumstances after a 3-1 home defeat feeling pretty wretched I actually, I actually felt fairly uplifted by the way that the, the club had dealt with what was an emotional evening um pretty much I mean the only thing I would have slightly changed is I, I'm not sure the lap of appreciation necessarily worked no. <laughs> um, they could have done that in the center circle as we said last night it would have been slightly less awkward for the players um but no I mean I, I'm slightly different I guess to to you guys in as much as I have been to a few games over lockdown and they're they've been horrific they've been awful they've been completely soulless um that i'm sort of used to the whole nobody celebrating a goal thing because that's exactly how it's been whether the home side or the away side has been, the side's been scoring the, those goals over the last 14 months and 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 weirdly, actually, when when Arsenal did score, there was a little pocket of the, there, were, there were three people up in an executive box in the, in the upper tier of the, the White Horse who did go up, um, and I'm glad they did in some ways because it just felt so eerie without it. And, and I, I was in the away section, so as in what would normally be the away section, so having having that at least was a bit of a consolation. But I thought I thought the club did it did it well. I know they've written to to Arsenal to thank them for the the guard of honour and for agreeing to do that. I think that, that that really meant a lot to Roy Hodgson. I think he was properly taken aback by that. I don't think he expected it at all. Um and yeah, I think it was they struck the right tone. And it was emotional. I, I was emotional. I, I you know I, I, I there were tears prior to kickoff because I I do think this is a big moment in the club's history. He's he's done such a brilliant job. Um, and I think we'll only really appreciate the job he's done in the years to come and probably in the year to come in particular, because it's going to mm-hmm. be a real, well, not a struggle, but it's going to be, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a daunting task for whoever takes it on. It's a challenge. It's going to be a big challenge for, yeah. for, for everyone at the club. It was emotional, Jack, wasn't it? Because you had these two big factors. The fact that we're back at Sellers for the first time. I mean, for some of us in, in over a year, I know you got to go to the Spurs game, but for a lot of us, it was in over a year. So the emotion of that, and then with the Roy thing, whenever a manager leaves, according to Mike Wisdom, it was the first time a manager had actually seen out his contract and left on his own accord ever for Palace. But whenever a manager leaves, it's always would be. You don't normally get to sort of give them the goodbye like this. And so you've got that emotion mixed with the fact we're back at Sellers and you're sort of seeing your mates again and remembering all these things you love about live football. It was, it was a lot to take in. So I, I think there would have been a lot of people who would have found that quite emotional. 
Yeah, uh, the, about the stat that Matt's discovered, I quite like the idea of Parrish sacking in by text at ten to five on on Sunday if we go three 0 down, just to kind of break the uh, the idea of there being this seamless stretch, just to kind of keep that Palace way going. But it wasn't much. Well, I, mean, I, I see Roy extension. Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say. I think, and then he'll be returning in in December, saying any chance you're back. But um, yeah, I mean, I kind of align Roy. There's you know similar age to my dad. They went to school together. Um, you know, it's a similar thing. So I've, I've, I've kind of got that emotional connection to Roy. I always have to be honest. They're, they're, my dad's hugely fond of Roy, and so there's that kind of personal connection with Roy, and that kind of age, the Croydon connection, so strong. He he just kind of owned the responsibility of being Palace manager so well since since taking the job in in September 2017 that it's it's never really been a concern about the manager role at Palace in his time, which which previously has obviously always been a bit of a concern about, are they going to go? Uh, is the club going to push them out? So they're, they're, it really was a bit emotional. And as Dom said, I totally agree with him that it is a big moment for the club. It's a huge transition across the, the whole club this summer. Um, and there is that, you know, wariness of, of what's going to come. Um, big, big decision about who takes the job. Big, big decisions about how you, you know, supplement the squads, what you do with Eze's injury, whether you now need to allocate you know, new funds to that or, or change your approach to the, the window entirely. So it's a huge, huge summer, um, but we do need to, to take the moment to to appreciate Roy and what he's done because, yeah, I, I do agree that we will be looking back at Roy's period as Palace manager with even uh, rosier glasses in the future than we, we are currently doing at this moment in time. In, in terms of Palace things itself, what amazed me last night, I, I need to contact the club and find out the answer, the, the vending uh, windows in the White Horse smelt like they'd been serving food but weren't open. So I don't know whether that's the smell of the burgers stays for 18 months or so, but I think there, there's quite a mis- mystery about the, the smell of fried onions. I need to know what happened with that. But no, apparently, yeah, that, was, that was the most punished moment. I think I know when you go for your jab, you're allowed to go and get a burger. That is good to hear. I'm actually, I, I like to have an answer to that because I was yeah. lying in bed last night, not really knowing what to make of that. I, I just worried they were pumping in kind of fried onion smell just to kind of give us that, that feeling of being back. My observation was that the toilets in the away end are amazing. <laughs> really? They're really nice. They're really nice. I mean, much better than what I remember the Homesdale being like. Certainly, certainly the main stand. Or the other mm-hmm. side of the Arthur. That's awful, apparently, still. Well, in, in that, like, it's almost like a porter cabin that's been built into the stand. And it's, but it's like, you know, beautiful white, I don't know, what sort of tileage, I suppose you'd say. And, and it just, wow. Really nice facilities. <laughs> Did, 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 did you miss some of the second half? You were just in the toilets. In the toilets, <laughs> looking at the tiles. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. This is brilliant. The <laughs> thing, yeah, how the other half live uh, in, in our own backyard as well. Um, Don, Don's actually on secondment to good housekeeping during the pre-season, <laughs> so just doing some analysis from there. <laughs> Um, uh, speaking of away fans, though, Jack, I think you, there was some Arsenal fans in the White Horse at... Uh, but a question from Alex Accini saying, have you seen a video of about 10 Arsenal fans celebrating Martinelli's goal on the same street? How the club allow- allowed this? I haven't seen that, but I have heard on social media. But th- they were near you, weren't you, apparently? Yeah, they were. And uh, it was after the Martinelli goal. So after they went 2-1 up. And the first thing I heard about it was just this constant shout of disgusting, disgusting. And <laughs> I turned around and the bloke wasn't wearing a mask. So I thought it was, that's how, you know, 
pandemic uh, minded I've become that I was like, wow, that's a lot of criticism for the bloke not wearing a mask. Obviously, with the guidelines he should have been. But then it became quite clear that uh, it was obviously, you know, a, a group of Arsenal fans. And, and you know, yeah, it's it's never a good moment for an away fan to be spotted in uh, in the home end. And they didn't do a very good job at covering up, clearly. on I have seen the video and they're, they're quite obvious about it. Um, but it, it, yeah, it was a bit much. It, it got a bit lively, which um, in the circumstances it'd feel a bit odd. But a nice reminder of what it can be like uh, at Selhurst, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll see it again in a, in a fuller Selhurst. But I think you know, the club can only sell the tickets to those that have been allocated the option of getting a ticket. So whoever bought those tickets, because um, this is this actually happened in the White Horse, not in the um, in, in the, the seats upstairs. So. Um, it's, it's likely that these were Palace season ticket holders or members who were able to purchase the ticket and, and didn't buy tickets for Arsenal fans. So, you know, it's likely the club will know who those, who those fans were. And, you know, you think the club will probably write to them and advise that it's not the, the most uh, wise thing to do. Yeah, it's, it's very different to someone buying an executive box. For, that, that normally goes to people that aren't really sort of fans of either team, but um, it's very different. Palace fan, I think. But by the time I got home last night, somebody had done some investigating on LinkedIn and found <laughs> who the person was and that they worked for a Palace sponsor. I won't name the sponsor. I don't want to do them any disservice. Oh, but, God. Um, yeah. I mean, when Palace fans want to, there's there's many a Poirot amongst us. <laughs> That's a kind way of putting it. Um, actually, JC, just on the on the angle of sort of fans getting angry, we had a question here from Crispin Chapel, which I think is my favourite named listener that we have. Um, it's like, it was so great to be back. Pint at the Porsons, a tray of jerk chicken, and finally actually back in the ground watching the boys play live. And fantastic to be able to see Roy. But did any of you have any proper angry fans near near you as I did? I felt much more angry than usual. I'm blaming the club uncertainty and the virus. Were you angry, JC? No, I, I definitely wasn't angry, but I did have angry people around me. Um, there, there were people shouting. There was a lo- seemed to be a lot of anger towards Wilfred Zaha. Oh, which I, which was quite interesting. Frustration with him. Um, so, so that was. I mean, and maybe. I mean, I, I think that there's always anger at football. I mean, that's why that's why you go to football. That's the, the theatre, right? But yeah, I was quite surprised that there there seemed to be people were kind of navigating both being present within the game and also experience about being there. Mm. Um, and I think I think it'd be really interesting from a kind of sociological point of view next season when more fans go in to see. How, what type of fans we're going to be getting, how we're going to be presenting ourselves. You know, is there going to be a lot of pent-up anger? Not just at Palace, but per se. You know, we're seeing glimpses of it with the the Black Lives Matter taking the knee. You know, some people were booing, some people were cheering. And I'm just... That's, that seemed to be mostly applause, didn't it? Oh, no, no, no. To, no at Palace, it was all applause. I'm, I'm just yeah. saying this as a, more of a general observation. So it's going to be really interesting next season, just seeing how fans are going to bring themselves you know, to get to, to, to games, you know, especially yeah. if away fans allowed, Leeds fans haven't been travelling, right? You know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. um, it won't be back to normal for fans like that next season. It's going to, There's going to be a lot of interesting dynamics going on. Well, let's talk to one of the angry fans. He's with us now, Dom Fifield. Um, <laughs> so you you were booing Kieran Tierney. There was an angry fan near me. Two, two rows in front of me, 
giving grief to first of all the linesman, which you know just expect, and some of that was borderline banter. Um, but uh, wait, wait, that's the title of this week's episode. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be your dentist one. Um, anyway. <laughs> hey, a couple of palace connections, Andy Woodman was one of her patients. Oh, yeah. Um, I think there are a couple more as well. Yeah, we yeah. Well, to be fair, we could, no, call no, it, no. <laughs> we could call it pulling teeth, and that, that works on all yeah. levels. Well, you know, uh, six oh. sections, it's probably fair. <laughs> my my. Inter- <laughs> Yeah, six sections. <laughs> oh, God, I know. What's happening? What's happening? <laughs> anyway, Dom, sorry. But he also gave a bit of grief to Tarek Mitchell, which I thought was... Oh. I think I think because Tarek had had, a, had quite a difficult first half up against Pepe and, and then started slow in the second half as well, but, but really did grow into it. I was I mentioned on the on the other pod last night, the it took a sort of a very, very well-timed block on a Pepe run, I think it was, or maybe Smith Rowe, um, that got his juices flowing. That got him, got him going. And, and, and that was, as we said, the first time that Tyrek Mitchell has ever played in front of a crowd yeah. with Palace. And I can't imagine he would have done it very often at Brentford's Academy either. So, so we have to sort of bear that in mind. It was probably quite a daunting occasion for him. He probably was very nervous going into that match. So, I wasn't. I wasn't sure that screaming abuse at him and telling him to tackle and fly into tackles, which would have probably left us quite exposed <laughs> on the fl- on the flank, was a was particularly great idea from from that particular fan. But um, yeah, it was it was great. It was great to have a pantomime villain. I don't think Tierney did. I, I know you know made a bit of a meal of a challenge from Joel Ward, but generally speaking, I thought Tierney and Saka were absolutely outstanding. Mm. Like, I don't know how we, I mean, we really struggled to contain them. Yeah. Um, and he's going to captain his country at the European Championships this summer and he's he looks a proper player. I mean, Arsenal have actually done, for once, they've actually done some quite decent business there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was, pantomime billing is the right thing. It was nice to have those panto elements. I've always thought watching live football basically is, is panto with shorts. Like, it's just... Um, but I like that. I, quite, I don't. I don't really engage in it much. But I like the sort of the spectacle of it. I guess Jack and and you just don't get that watching at home. Like you know, I I I'm the only person in my household that watches the football. My mother-in-law uses it as a chance to kind of take the piss out of me. But no one else engages in the same way. So it is quite nice to go to the ground and and just in, engage in that in that um, that panto. I guess. Yeah, my, my mate Owen actually said to me last night. He said the panto is what I miss the most. Yeah, you know, you can enjoy the football and television to an extent, but it's the panto and the the moment of being there. And it, we, you know, we we did tick off some of the greatest hits last night that were an option, an option to us. Um, so you know, after they went one up, singing, you know, one nil, and you still don't sing. You know, it was a given, and we did it. And we, yeah. you know, we walked through the. What do you What do you want from fans? And uh, <laughs> exactly. no, I thought I thought it was, I thought it was it was it was well humoured, and uh, it, it was, yeah, that taster for what I hope next season is obviously a full house um but yeah that that panto as soon as i said that to me i did think yeah that's that's actually hit the nail on the head that is exactly what going to the game brings that you can't replicate in in your living room um yeah. even with the you know watching it on facetime with your mates or anything like that you can't replicate it. it's just not the same especially if you're watching different streams of it and goals are going at different times yeah. it just doesn't doesn't work so um no i i um I, I I enjoyed that element of it. A lot I of think the, the the voice of VAR adds to the panto element as well. That I don't. I, I used to go to NFL games at Wembley, and you get this commentator who commentates throughout the game, but his whole voice booms and takes the stadium as though 
God is American. You know, it's kind of <laughs> third and third down and whatever, you know. And, and VAR just wasn't there with, with that voice. It wasn't dominated enough. It was, And I'm wondering if fans should be allowed to choose a bit like Siri or if you do pouts to 5K, you can have a famous actor or... Well, I know, I know who that voice is, and that 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 voice is actually um, someone related to Palace. Would you like to know who that is? I may have to bleep this. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you. But the well, you, voice... did, you did last night on the pod extra. I know. I oh, did, oh, so you know, you know. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So there well, you go. There's, you there's what, a link to the Palace link there anyway. Yeah, you should just don't tell them, and people will have to sign up for the uh, for the patron. So you know, have to <laughs> yeah. get on there. Oh, did I leave it in the patron? Oh, whoops. Yeah. Uh, uh, what I found quite funny is just how late that was. And in fact, if you're walking yeah. up and down Norwood High Street today, you can still hear just <laughs> VAR check over, still blaring out. So. But that isn't normal. I mean, it hasn't been like that. It wasn't like that at the Sellers when in the games that I attended during lockdown, and it certainly wasn't the other Premier League matches I went to. They were they were much sharper on that, and there wasn't any a big there wasn't a big public announcement on it either. You were sometimes just relying upon the television coverage back home and on your little screen on the press box. So I was I was surprised at that that element didn't work because it really there were times where Anthony Taylor would wave play on the and, and you know you, there were two phases of play that had happened while the VAR still going on up there and it's <laughs> come on seriously um but there you go vagaries of VAR it's nice to be talking about that again isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah and I'm sure we will be talking about that many times to come over the next season well look I totally agree that football is panto so let's bring down the curtain on the first part Ooh. And um, that'll do, won't it? That's not too bad. Mm. Um, and then uh, we'll have a quick interval, uh, and we'll come back in part two with the second act. Hey, look, I can do all. I can do it all day long. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to part two of the Five Year Plan podcast. Yeah. Yo, yo, yo. Pod uh, 383. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought I was going to get away with that. And unfortunately, you picked me up on it. Um, I'm 36 years old. I shouldn't be saying that. Um, But what I should be saying is that The Athletic are a world-class team of writers covering every club, including the best coverage of Crystal Palace. So subscription-based website and app, completely ad-free. No ads, no pop-ups, just brilliant articles. Welcome to the new home of football writing. See, I know it. for a fact, Jim, that you don't read that out when there isn't a member of the athletic staff on your podcast. That is an outrageous claim. Well, I know for a fact that that, that trailer just well, just trails away, actually. It does. Usually with, with Kev saying, why are you doing this again? Why, why, why is this happening? <laughs> I need to, uh, this has been like two years now, I need to, get, to rewrite that bit. The welcome to the new home of football writing, that can't be the tagline for the athletic anymore because you've been around for two years now, so... Um, I'll get on to the, the, you know, the, the ad guys and we'll, we'll work it out. <laughs> um, anyway, look, this week's article um, is lengthy. I'm going to, I'm going to, is a word I'm going to use. It is a, in the business, they call it a long read. It is a long read about, of course, the man of the hour, Roy Hodgson. It's called Roy Hodgson to leave Crystal Palace after a job done almost on the quiet. And it's by Mr. Don Firefield and Matt Wisdom. And now the dramatic reading of part of that Please welcome to the stage, 
Mr. Dom Pfeiffer. Oh, no, 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 no. I am joking. Don't worry. I don't. I will do it instead. He's uh, in this theatrical kind of yeah. acts performance curtain down. I am. Yeah, I am. I did a gig this week, so I'm back on. I'm back in the groove. Um, no, I'm going to. I'll put some piano music under it, and and let, let's read a little bit uh, from this um, this fantastic and really in depth article um, about Roy and his spell at Crystal Palace. Um, here we go. <clears throat> After a while, of course, the sides consistent... That's completely wrong. <clears throat> After a while, of course, the sides consistent presence in lower mid-table starts to suggest they are treading water. And there have been plenty of times when injuries have given the team a rather makeshift feel. Palace have played virtually the whole season with midfielder Kiate at centre-half, while a quartet of more natural defenders have flitted from treatment room to first team, and Martin Kelly has strangely gone entirely ignored. Yet Hodgson's ability to make do almost without complaint, to knuckle down and get on with it, has allowed the club to prioritise other areas for investment, most notably the £20 million construction of Category 1 Academy opposite the first team training ground on Copers Cope Road. I thought there'd be an applause break there, but it's fine. I will, I will move past it. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, I mean, to be honest, Dom, that, that sort of tells us what we've said on this pod for a long time, which is that Roy's gentlemanly manner has effectively allowed him to do a pretty sterling job for the last four and a half years with his hands tied behind his back. How quickly do you think we're going to, once we've moved on, realise just what a fantastic job Roy has done? Well, to be honest, I, th- I started thinking about it as he uh, walked down that mm. the, the guard of honour last night. Um, I mean, I think... I think <laughs> We'll probably come on to this in the next section with questions or in the section after that or the section possibly after that or maybe <laughs> the one even that comes after that. Breakfast um, session. <laughs> but the you think of the the, the the chain of events this week um, where you've got Christian Benteke scoring on Sunday. Um, scoring, a, that was I think three and three out of contract. His, his weekly wage demands presumably going up with every appearance. In every goal scoring appearance, you have Wilfred Zaha scoring a, a goal against Villa, uh, a player that I'm pretty convinced will agitate again for a move this summer. And that circus is about to be back upon us. Um, you have Roy announcing he's off on the on the Tuesday, and while Roy is conducting his press conference, um, poor Ebrieze who. I actually think is the fulcrum of this of this team for the next few years, or certainly was going to be the fulcrum of this team for the next few years, um, being taken off for scans and subsequently going under the knife to to repair an Achilles tendon in, injury, which will be serious. They are serious injuries, particularly for a player who's who relies upon twisting and turning as part of his natural game. So we're talking probably about let's realistically say he won't play next season. That's that's the realism. That's the realistic outlook. I, I wow. suspect. So now you say so in that situation there where it's all unravelled. It's effectively all unravelled now, um, and that is the size of the task that the club have got this summer. I mean, it's it's it doesn't have to be a disaster. It, it doesn't have to be catastrophe it doesn't have to be the end it can be a huge opportunity for them there's a sense of urgency now at least at least we know they have to get on with it they have to replace their only really creative midfielder they have to replace their manager now uh they have to 
they have to get enter into negotiations pretty sharpish with the, with their strike force um and and work out whether they want to keep them on or not um but these issues are now they're here and now they've got to be dealt with um and it's as we touched upon in the first section it's it's huge it's I, this is the biggest summer that crystal palace football had football club have had since 2013 undoubtedly it's and and the as a headache is something they didn't need but it's got to focus minds yeah i i actually think jc there's not many other managers I'll be honest, if there was any manager out there right now I'd want to come in this summer with the upheaval that's happening, it probably would be Roy Hodgson. Mm. And I, I personally would have maybe tried to keep him just to kind of be there for that continuation of the, the squad overhaul. But I don't think there are many managers that really would have been, been able to survive the last four years with what Roy's had to put up with in terms of recruitment and and all that really. And I know that this is turning into a bit of a, a Roy loving and you guys are welcome to sort of um, keep me in check on that because I'm, I'm sure there are criticisms with, with Roy and would certainly have been lots of them on Twitter but I just think the task he's done can't really be for all the reasons that Dom has just uh, laid out there can't really be underestimated or overestimated mm. sorry well I, I, I mean I totally agree and I think that if we if we had got relegated in the last four years the academy probably wouldn't have been built Mm-hmm. And this academy, you know, Dom, you know this more than anyone, but it, it's going to be category one. It's going to generate money for the club, probably primarily than getting players into the first team. You know, if, if anything could have, it's a micro version of what Chelsea Chelsea mm-hmm. do. And it's bodies as units of currency is fundamentally what the business model is. That wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Roy. And I think that that's really, really important. I, I kind of... I'm going to say something a little bit radical, and I think it is right that Roy is going, because I think it's exposing something, and it's exposing something that we're not really, I I still haven't seen being discussed in depth. We talk about the lack of investment, we talk about the contracts being allowed to run, we don't talk much about why that's happened. And I think that this is a, a really important point. Roy is or was not the problem. Roy managed the problem. And this is, we use the metaphor of things being tied behind, his arms being tied behind his back. I would be very interested to understand the systemic drivers that have caused contracts to run and caused a kind of lack of investment in the playing staff in the last two, three seasons, as what we were thinking of, not not to kind of get another Kabai or another Penteke, but the, the kind of evolution of squad. And what this has done, it's made the fans only direct their anxiety towards one tangible thing, which is the manager. Mm. And this is the problem. This is what we've been seeing. So, and then they, they, we haven't been able to get our claws into anything about why there's been this lack of investment and what's going on. Now, I read the business pages, and that's what I do, and I've got clients in New York, and today in the New York Times, in the business section, there's a big bit about Harris and about him leaving Apollo or or stepping back because of internal issues with the three founders. And where he is now focusing very much on his... um, uh, philanthropy, but also on his sports investments. And when any article, including his letter he posted today on LinkedIn, 
mention his sports, he mentions American sport teams. He doesn't mention once Crystal Palace as one of his investments. Now, you could say, well, Palace is a small team. They're in one of the biggest, if not the, the second or the first biggest sporting league in the world. And so now I can start working and running with a hypothesis that he, he doesn't have interest in the club. Or does he? And, and these, so I, I think that we, we need to start investigating the business announce. It feels like Palace are having that Kodak moment, we call it in business, when I go and do big talks. You think you're doing really well, you think you do, but you take your eye on, off the ball. Digital photography came in and smashed you. Or you're Nokia, you think you're leading mobile phone, but then a computer company called Apple come and take you out of the water. And I feel there's this kind of mindset somewhere lurking systemically within Palace that they've allowed it just to go, 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 go. And all of a sudden, Roy leaves on the same day Eze's out for potentially a season. Players, Benteke might now be leaving, going somewhere else because he's scoring goals. It, this is what happens if, you, if you're not planning and strategically planning. So back to my point, I think it's right that Roy is going. Wow. Uh, to be honest, there's been a lot more snooping on this week's episode uh, than we've ever had before on the podcast. I think this is great. This is... Uh... Good research, JC. Thank you. And that is, I mean, that's fascinating. It's quite, it's quite a depressing outlook on the club, but I think it's probably quite a realistic one. I mean, Jack, what? Okay, Jack, do you think it's right that Roy's leaving? And what, and what is going to, are going to be your overriding memories of Roy's man? And will they be tainted by the things that the other two guys have brought up? I think uh, just a sliding doors moment about Roy that. Kind of realised um, today, really. If we'd played on Saturday and he'd had the team in for training on Monday, and Eze had done his Achilles on Monday, would there have been a last-minute call from from Steve Parrish to Roy saying that announcement we're going to make on Tuesday? Can we hit pause and can we can we have a chat and and maybe? I mean, I know I know it's been portrayed as this is Roy's decision. He wants to walk away from full-time top-flight management, but I do wonder whether if they're had been the offer, whether Roy would have considered it. And the injury to Eze is, is such a seismic issue for that playing staff. I mean, it really does alter a lot of things. Um, and I trust Roy to manage an Eze-less palace more than more than most, given his, obviously, yeah. knowledge of the of the squad and his nails um, around the place and, and, and throughout the game. Um, so, I'd, I mean, I do think it's... There are elements of Roy going which do feel right in, in the, the transition of the squad is so monumental. It makes someone it makes sense for someone who's going to be here longer term to be involved in that recruitment. Um, otherwise, you're perhaps tying the hands behind the back of, of a manager who comes in a year's time and, and would say, I wouldn't have spent you know, that money on, on these players and now I've, I've been left with those players. Um, so I, I do think it's right that a new manager comes in and, and manages that transition. Um, but there are elements of it that, that scare me to death, to be honest. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, Roy's been such a steady hand on the tiller. Relegation really hasn't been uh, a viable possibility since early to late eight or early to mid-April 2018. Since then, we really haven't been close to the drop zone and haven't been a proper contender for the drop because of his stewardship of the of, of the fixture list, his, his now when it comes to, to when to attack, when to defend. Um, so I am, I'm very worried about whoever comes in, um, to, to replace Roy, because I just don't think their hand will be as, as steady as it's been in terms of my, you know, favorite Roy moments. I think, uh, 
the Leicester 5-0 at the end of his first season, I think that capped off and was fine reward for what had been a fantastic job to rescue us from that very perilous position at the start of the season. That 5-0 just felt that he'd completely gone full circle and had done the full job that he was required to to get that 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 team to where it needed to be. And I know that didn't make us mathematically safe and we had to go to Stoke the week after and that that did it. But that Leicester game was was, you know, a real great afternoon for, for everyone that was there and everyone associated with the club. And then there have been, you know, some some really other positive wins um un, under his time. Um some some really good afternoons at Selhurst. I mean any win at Selhurst is a good afternoon to be honest, but his one's always seem to be well earned rather than you know typically playing the the free flowing football that you know you, you would hope that we would play but yeah I, I'm going to look back at Roy with a, with a huge amount of fondness and I think that fondness will probably grow over time um because I I just see next season being such a, a monumental season whether it's a struggle or not we'll see but whether or not it's going to be a, a big year that's that's quite obvious to to most and, and just on JC's point about Harris is is it's quite an interesting. I haven't read the, the New York Times uh, uh, article on, on Harris, but what I have noticed over this last year or two is that his investment in the Philadelphia 76ers is probably looking as strong as it's ever looked. Their, their brand recognition in the States is getting bigger and bigger. So it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, that that investment was was his focus because the 76ers are, are getting a bigger profile year on year. They're getting more on-court success in the NBA. Um and you know you can argue whether the NBA is a bigger league than the Premier League, but if he cares more about basketball than he does about soccer, as as he'll as he'll see it, then that might be where he chooses to invest his time and his money. But he, uh, yeah, Josie's totally right. He he needs to be clear with Parish about what his intentions are, um, because it's going to be involving him putting his hand in his pocket to to sustain Palace's Premier League status over the next couple of years. Yeah, that is I mean, very, I mean, very there interesting. Is, there is a. There is a theory that um, we should probably be looking and seeing who else is investing in investing in Crystal Palace in the next month or so. I mean, there may well be that it may well be that the, that the current structure slightly alters um, the the amount of money that's being talked about in terms of transfer dealings this summer. Sixty million pounds is a sort of rough guesstimate as to how much they, they'd need to spend on the squad um i don't think the current structure would allow them to do that mm. but if there is an external party that comes in and buys shares and that money is put towards crystal palace's rebuild then that may be something that might get them through a difficult period particularly given that the state of football's finances generally. And on, on the Harris thing, I'm not entirely, I mean, look, I mean, Steve Parrish will probably go have kittens over this, but I'm not, I'm not in, entirely sure that Harris was ever the hugely infused American investor out of the two of them. I think David Blitzer was probably more enthusiastic about football over here and in Europe, because he's the one that's gone out and actually bought significant stakes in various clubs around Europe. Crystal Palace are not the only football club in his portfolio of businesses. Um, It is an intriguing element. I completely agree with JC. If, um, if these guys were easily accessible in the States, there would be a 6,000 word athletic article on, on, where their interest in Crystal Palace Football Club actually lies and mm. why they've bought into it. 
unfortunately, they don't speak very often over there either. Um, and what they do say is unbelievably PR controlled. So they're intensely private people. They're also billionaires who really don't care how they're perceived. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not really. Well, they, they, they care. I mean, I'm not going to go into this, but there is, it's, it's in the media, but there's a big thing within Apollo and one of the founders and money he was um, paying to someone else. And they they got an external law firm to have to come and do an internal, and that caused some conflict. So it was about the image of Apollo and mm. investors. Interesting enough, the New York Times did end the article by saying, and Josh Harris has recently bought a $33 million mansion in Miami. In Miami, So that's the kind of... Well, that could buy us a new striker. Um, $60 million doesn't actually sound that much, does it, in the grand scheme of no, $33 million. No, I meant, yeah, no, I meant the, the sixty, budget, 60 the million budget. Yeah, I think I think um, it's it's about it's about being a buyer's market. Though. I mean, that's a theory I put forward about about that. It's not. Yeah. I don't have evidence that that is what is happening behind the scenes. But but it would potentially be one way of them getting round, mm-hmm. getting round the issue uh, of having to put money. Uh, sorry, put their hands into their own pockets. Mm. Um, it's, is there another American billionaire investor as well? I think there's, there are a few. There are, yeah. and there's, own a, there's a tech, state, tech guy yeah. who's yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, sixty million pounds is probably about right. I don't think there'd be that many Premier League clubs that spend sixty million pounds this summer. Um, the big ones will obviously the, the top six. No, the top six. I don't even know what the top six is anymore. Where do Spurs come now? They seven got in the Super League. I can't remember. Manorama. Oh, <laughs> but I mean, sixty million would would get you. I think it probably would get you a a young centre half permanently, a, a young dynamic box to box midfielder permanently, um, maybe a winger, and then you're probably looking at a couple of free transfers and a couple of loans, maybe three loans, and that mm-hmm. I think that sixty million would would cover that just about. Um, but you'd have to. I mean, they've all got to hit the ground running. They've all got yeah. to work. Yeah. You're going to lose seven or eight players. You've got these guys have to be brilliant when they come in. Yeah, that's that's exactly the key, and that's why it's going to be such a pivotal and important summer. Um, obviously, we know a new manager is coming in. Do you guys want to talk about the new manager, or would would, would we like? I mean, I feel like has the market changed much on that with the new manager, or is it it's the same names going around, Dom? Isn't it really? It's quite I mean, funny watching the. Uh... I'm not one to slag off my colleagues in the media, but um, but the, there are U-turns happening on certain candidates on certain sites at the moment, and uh, that's that's always quite interesting to watch how it plays out. I mean, it's all I would say is that I, I mean I I haven't I have no idea I have no idea I, I don't even know whether Palace can have an idea yet because two of those contenders who are genuinely contenders are playing each, against each other in the playoffs uh, yeah, at the yeah. moment and they don't yeah. play the second leg until Saturday yeah so one of them will go out and the other one will be in a final and if that's a preferred candidate and he wins the final then does he does he then consider coming I don't know um, it's it's really, I mean, it's it's really strange. After Eze, as, as I made the point on the pod extra, I I, I, I thought the candidacy of Sean Dyche was strengthened immediately from the, yeah. as soon as that tend and send and snap. But he's expensive, um, and I think that I, I'm not. I suspect there are different motivations behind different pursuits of different candidates within that hierarchy at Crystal Palace and until there's unity until they completely know who they want to target as their first 
choice. I don't think. I don't think they're. I don't think they're united yet on that front. Right. And it, and it'll come down to it'll come down to Steve Parrish ultimately. Obviously, I mean, it's a bit like uh, he's the one who will make the, the decision, and he will go and to the Americans presumably and tell them what he recommends the Parrish should do. And then it'll be interesting to see whether the Americans, how much input they have as well, and whether they do their own interviews or whether they've already done those interviews. I don't know. Really, it's well, I think um, history history will suggest that Steve is actually quite good at uh, making getting these appointments right. I think the only one really that hasn't worked over the last seven or eight years is Frank De Boer, and they he pulled the trigger on him really quickly. So I, I would feel quite confident in Steve making the right decision. But as you say, there are more people to convince than than just him. Um. But can I kind of just say something? Because there is, I mean, there's no doubt you're right. But if you go for the younger manager with the current infrastructure we have in place, which is an, the oldest squad in the league and X amount of players out of contract, I mean, it sounds desperately risky. Um, if, if, you know, and I mean, I, I guess Cooper would be our equivalent of a Potter, yeah. you know, Bryson. Yeah. But, but, w- are you guaranteed? Have we got a line of investment? Are we going to get a? a, a I mean, we, I guess we've got a director of football of some type. But you know, I just don't see the infrastructure to hold a young manager. And 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 I agree with Dom that Dice. I mean, it's it's almost like a necessity. If not Dice, and you go for Sam Allardyce. But the thing, you the know, thing I mean, it's, is, it, you're right about structure. It's it's yeah. if if Crystal Palace Football Club are wedded to the te- sporting director stroke technical director structure then you're not appointing a manager you you're coach, appointing yeah. a head coach definitely mm. and steve cooper would be a good head coach mm-hmm. billy and ismail might be a good head coach he's only let's be fair he's only really had six seven months of doing brilliantly at barnsley behind him um sean dyche would not be a good head coach yeah. sean dyche is an would be an old school manager yeah yeah so then if you appoint sean dyche are you then saying Doggy, sorry, mate, but your your influence isn't going to be quite as big as we said it was going to be. And whether where does the balance of power lie in, within? You know who is guiding all this? Who is? I mean, I, I suspect. I suspect, as Selzy pointed out last night, I, I suspect that this is an opportunity for for Palace to really lock down the sporting director. Uh, culture structure yeah. from top yeah. to bottom and so you're not appointing a manager and um, we need to start we all we all need to I'm, I'm guilty of this as a member of the media i'm guilty of this when some of these six or seven new signings don't work out next next summer we can't point the feet the finger at steve cooper mm. because he hasn't bought those guys yeah 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 and it's the same way that you know you hear I mean, go to go to clubs up and down the country, and people will say, you know, Mikel Arteta has has a brilliant signing he's made here. No, it wasn't. It wasn't him. Mm-hmm. You know, it was some, it was Raúl. It was someone up and up in the blooming hierarchy of the club that's done that that made that signing, and um, and it has to be done in allied with recruitment departments that are extensive and scouting departments that are extensive. Palace are doing that. That's another line in that article. And Palace are making appointments in their scouting department at the moment good appointments they're taking people from other clubs and replacing what they have and and the i think you could argue that that what they had suited the old school roy method of doing things 
because it's been muddy it's been sort of muddled on that front we, we've had the sporting director but we've also given Roy a say when it comes to transfers well that's not how it works at most continental sporting director systems it's the philosophy is dictated by by the technical director the sporting director and, and the players fit into that philosophy that he is set set out um and then the coach gets the best out of the players that, that are given to him basically so it's and what about, about what, what would lampard be then <laughs> lampard would be the wrong choice Lampard, Lampard has no experience of keeping a team in the Premier League. Yeah. Lampard's life has been spent largely. I mean, I don't want to, when he was young at West Ham, obviously it was slightly different. But at Chelsea, they were always competing at the top end of the division. Derby, when he went there into management, he he did very well with good, talented players that he, some of whom he got from Chelsea on loan, and he kept them in playoff contention and got them to a playoff final. He come, came into Chelsea at a difficult time at the, cl- at the in the club's development in terms of the transfer ban, and he did very very well. But again, it was it was competing at the top end, and even though they had the transfer ban, incidentally, they spent a hundred million pounds on new players that summer. So there are transfer bans and there are transfer bans. So they spent more in a transfer ban than Crystal Palace can ever hope to spend in this. <laughs> yeah. When, when it, we were talking about this being the biggest window ever, so uh, Lampard to me just. I can see, I can see the sort of glitz and the glamour and the name and yeah he, yeah he might attract Tammy Abraham. Palace can't afford Tammy Abraham. Yeah, he, he's not. He's a forty million pound player, and if, if Palace spent forty million pounds on a player like that, they're not going to have any money for anyone else. So it's 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 really it was a strange one. The the the, the strong links. He, you know, look, he was somebody they looked at clearly, and they and they're looking at, and you know, you can never rule these people out entirely. Because, you know, next week, Steve Cooper might decide he wants to stay at Swansea. Valerian Nisman is quite enamoured by what he's doing at Barnsley. And Sean Dyche has got a new contract with, with Pace at Burnley. And uh, Chris Wilde has joined West Bromwich Albion. And you think, and Eddie Howe's gone to Celtic. And Christ, we've got no one left here. Frank Lampard, Frank, you know, we were saying the other day about, well, you know, maybe we'll find a bit more money to get you Tammy Abraham along there as well. So you can never say never. But the reality is... I, I can't see how he would be a suitable re- replacement given the predicament that Crystal Palace are in. I mean, the, th- the thing that I'm concerned about is if you're going to be changing from a manager to a coaching structure, it, it's a it's a process of innovation, right? If you look at Brighton, and I'm not saying that they've done this perfectly, or but they got rid of their previous manager who was doing very well in keeping them in the league to try something, and there was a massive risk, but they, in a way, maybe had their kind of ducks lined up you know they have things in place to allow Potter to come in where I just don't see us having things in place to allow the coach model of a younger coach to come in arguably we've got more things in place than Brian okay Dan Ashworth came in the same summer as Graham Potter I think so they didn't have a sporting director and then they brought the sporting director and the coach in in very very short Mm-hmm. quick succession palace have got a sporting director that's been in place for a good few years now he knows what he wants to do um and it seems as if he's been given the backing to do it so fair play that's let's we've got more than brighton and and, and i suspect if you talk to brighton fans and you know you could do that on the on the price of football or whatever but the reality is that 
Brighton are no worse off now than they were under Chris Hutton. Chris Hutton kept them in the division, usually in the penultimate fixture of the season. Pretty much what Graham Potter's done. He's done it slightly sooner this time around, actually. And the football they're watching is a lot better than they were watching under Chris Hutton. So, arguably, they have made progress. Mm -hmm. Um, I completely forgot until you mentioned it a minute ago that we're in the athletic bit. So, I probably need to read the the call to action uh, and then move on. But we are obviously... Here to to give Roy a send-off. We have had a couple of people giving us um, their thoughts on Roy. Would you like to hear a couple of the listeners and what they had to say? Um, Laura E. Watts says, how pleased do you think that Mr. and Mrs. Hodgson and Mr. and Mrs. Livington were to receive their Crystal Eagles? <laughs> Very, I'd say. They looked like fantastic ornaments. And they're, I, they're going in the present box. Somebody will be getting them for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Or they'll be on eBay. straight yeah, they're going straight back out with that candle that Mrs. Hodgson got last Christmas that she didn't like either. So yeah, they're <laughs> straight back out. And the and the twenty pairs of shorts that Ray got for Christmas last year as well. Um, Nine Dorf says we'll miss Roy, and I think every supporter appreciates what he's done for the club. Who are the pods picks to take over from Roy? I feel like we've covered that, but that's a nice sentiment anyway. That's from Nick in Brisbane, and then Rob McCormack Carpentry says, uh, congratulations to Roy on a fantastic career. The last four years couldn't have been easy with all the sorts of hurdles to overcome. Transfer budget, injuries, pandemic. But Roy and Ray have managed it impeccably. The respect Roy carries off the field is admirable and the manner in which he's represented Palace off the field is something to be proud of. Thank you, sir. Roy, to be honest, that is the theme of most of the messages we've been getting. And I think people are hitting the right tone, I think, no matter what you've thought about Roy over the last four years in terms of playing style or whatever, now is the time to give him a proper send-off. And I think... Uh, and I only have our listeners doing that with their comments. But that long read from Matt and Dom as well, which is titled Roy Hodgson to leave Crystal Palace after a job almost done on the quiet, uh, is does the same thing as well. And you can read that at The, at the Athletic. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can start a subscription for just £1 a month. So get on that soon. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. After the break, um, we've got an interview with Jeff Thomas, no less. Uh, I sat down with him yesterday to chat about his latest charity endeavours and how you as a fan can help out. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome back to part two of the uh, Five Year Plan podcast. Now we've got a very special guest uh, this week. Returning to the pod, third time on the pod, I believe. I need to get a, a hat trick ball or something for that. Um, it's the one and only Palace legend, Jeff Thomas. Uh, Jeff, how are you? It's been the only hat trick I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, no, good. I'm very good. Uh, it's great to see you again. Now you came on the pod uh, about a year ago, I guess, or just over a year ago, sort of start of lockdown. And you, yeah. you were preparing for your challenge of taking on the tour before the tour de france obviously that's 
been postponed. And now we've got the Tour 21, uh, which you're preparing for. And I believe to try and raise some funds, auctioning some Palace shirts as well. Yeah, I mean, the world of football has always been great, um, but they've, they've really come to the fore this time. Um, and Palace in particular have uh, donated, I think, 11 match-worn shirts. That have, I think they've been autographed, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I think it was a game against Chelsea, so all the guys have kindly given their shirts. So Brilliant. they'll be on the auction site, hopefully making lots of money. Now that... Uh, let me get the website in early doors and I will at the end as well. That is sliderstock.com forward slash palace shirts. And the closing date for that is 9 p.m. this Sunday, which is after the Liverpool game. So get involved as soon as possible. Get that bookmarked on your web on your laptop and keep an eye on that because, as you say, they are match worn shirts. They are uh, signed as well from the players. Um, so get involved. And you'll, you'll be helping a very, very special charity, of course, Jeff. So, how's plans been going for the tour and, and fundraising? Yeah, cure leukemia was set up the same year I was diagnosed. So I've, I've been a patron ever since I recovered from the illness. So, and it's been growing ever since. And it is, it's taken on more importance about getting the money because they started only two years ago funding a, a program that is a national program. And with COVID, obviously, it's been difficult for all charities to bring revenue in. And so the tour is massive. The tour is massive for them. Um, we're aiming to get over a million pounds. We're over, we've just gone over 650,000 at the moment. Wow. We've got uh, 24, 25 riders, including myself. Um, thankfully, I'm, I've just gone over 50,000 today, which is fantastic. And, wow. you know, I just, I'd love to smash the 100,000 pound myself individually, you know, and, uh, and arrive in Paris fulfilled with everything everybody's enjoyed the, the challenge and we've raised an awful lot of money for a great cause absolutely and i know that i mean palace fans are you know on and off the pitch a supportive bunch so i know that they'll be supportive of this and get involved and i think they have been sort of down the years haven't they they oh, I mean, but oh, you're such a hero to them i think they they would sort of follow you into battle anyway wouldn't they yeah i mean and, and i've said this before but they probably don't realize especially the younger ones what Palace fans did for me that probably day two of me being diagnosed. It, there was no social media back then, mm. but there was, um, was it like Homesdale and, and what were they called? Like the, the message was site. Yeah. Yeah. There was the, B, the BBS. Yeah. That's uh, it. And then Homesdale.net, I think is it that, that back then I think those are the only ones. Yeah. And, but Jane Fuller, do you know Jane? Yes. Yeah. It was Jane Sanderson now, I should say. She, Jane, <laughs> sent me reams and reams of paper with messages on from all the football fans and it just meant an awful lot you know you, you're just looking for any positives and that was just uh it was heartwarming you know to get so many well wishes when it was uh, a very very dark time but um yeah, they've been there ever since as well the palace guys and the fans the supporters steve browick a former director is um with his business are uh, the main sponsors with far fitness He's so generous, that guy, and he's uh, yeah. a great friend. I love how you've dated us both there by talking about printing out pages from the internet to read them. I mean, <laughs> kids today would not know what we are talking about. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, it, at times, you know, you, I, I don't like looking back too much because, it, you know, you get little reminders about the FA Cup game and the, the semi-final. And when it was 10 years ago, you could have handled that. But when it was 20, you start... 
And when it's over 30, you start, oh my goodness, I'm getting old. <laughs> Yeah. those those memories i mean i could we could talk to you about the fa cup all day long and, and you know hopefully maybe we'll come on in the future and we can indulge again because those memories never die they're just fantastic never die fantastic talk about but you were saying before we came off air the fact that you were preparing to do this last year and obviously it's been put back because of covid has actually helped you sort of grow the event a little bit yeah um we've actually been recognized by the organizers of the tour they're called the aso so they they put on the event itself uh the tour de france and we've become the first uk charity partner wow and it's massive and it's allowed us to go out to a bigger audience and get more riders on board this year with because last year i think we just had about 12 signed up and now we've got 24 like i say wow and we've we've the plan is to uh get film clips out during this tour. We've got this partnership last for three years. So after this year, we want to make it even bigger next year. And obviously the, the bigger it is, the more revenue comes into the charity. That's fantastic. And how's your training going for it? You know, I took it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I've always felt I've got enough in the, in the sort of legs to get me around. Um, it, it is a, as well as being physical, it's a very mental challenge. It's uh, getting up and doing 100 and odd miles day after day. It's tough. <clears throat> but once you've done it a couple of times, you think you get a bit blase, <laughs> but then it bites you. So last time I did it, it was painful. And so I've, um, I've done a little bit more uh, training. I've got a coach this time for the first time. Oh, wow. And yeah, I've took it seriously. So I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you in a, probably a couple of months' time how, it, how it's gone. <laughs> does, um, does being an ex-footballer help with the mental side of that? Also, yeah, the mental side is, yeah, I think with football, you, you go through ups and downs and, you know, and you don't get, you try not to get carried away with either, you know, as you go into the next game. Hmm. So it's, and it's like that with a tour. You can have a great day, feel great, and then you can have an absolute nightmare the next day. So it's about keeping sort of a, a, a constant rather than going up and down like like that challenge is in, in yeah. many ways. Yeah, not letting the highs be too high, not letting the highs exactly. be too low. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, good. Well, listen, let's... I'll do the website again, sliderstock.com forward slash palace shirts. If you're listening now and you fancy getting involved in that auction, please, please do. Let's help Jeff smash that hunt, that one million, at least 100 million there. That, that, that's a bigger target. Smash that one million target. Um, and that would be fantastic money going to a really, really good cause that will be genuinely making a difference. Um, Jeff, before we go, obviously I have to get your thoughts on, on Roy Hodgson, who has announced this week he's, leaving palace after four years our main episode this week is a is a Roy yeah. celebration episode what were your thoughts and feelings when you heard that news had been announced uh I, rightly so he should be celebrating his, his his career as well as time at palace i, I just think it's a shame he's not going upstairs hmm. and just being there as I was with Graham Taylor at Wolves and he, he got pushed out pretty quickly. And I think it was a, a mistake that he never got put upstairs. And I think likewise, I think somebody with so much experience and he's got his heart set at Palace as well. You know, I think uh, any young manager coming in, taking over, would really sort of welcome that sort of backup. 
But yeah, I just think I've met Roy a couple of times and he's just a gentleman and he's a great guy. And obviously he's skilled at what he does, you know, uh, especially with smaller medium clubs, mm. you know, the West Broms, the Crystal Palaces of the league. I mean, he's done a tremendous job. Yeah, he really has. Um, I, I thought about the idea of him going upstairs as well, because imagine being a young manager, being able to tap into that wealth of of knowledge as someone that's been in the game for 50, 50 years, 50 plus years. I mean, it, yes. it's mad. But the impression I get from Roy is that he just, he wants to still manage. He He's, he's, I know he, people talk about his age a lot, but he, I think he's a youthful mind. I think he still thinks he's 21 because he just, he's still so energetic for the game. I don't think you, you think of his age, do you? you? Even when you see him on the side of the pitch, you don't say, oh, look at that old guy there. <laughs> you just see, you look at a, a guy who's just got years of experience. And he, I think I saw him on an interview recently and he just says that he doesn't like to get excited because I think the players just like to see somebody calm and who's, uh, he knows what he's doing on the side. So I think, um, yeah, I think, but just that, that alone for a young manager to come in and have that uh, calming influence there, that would have been a great help. But, you know, like you say, I think he's uh, destined to get back into management as quickly as possible because I think, there's definitely a number of clubs that would welcome him. Yeah, it's been you know, interesting. Back into their clubs. Yeah. yeah, it's been interesting the wording that he's used because he hasn't said, I'm resigning from football. He's sort of said, Oh, I'm sort of stepping away from top flight football. So you think, I think there's still sort of legs left in him. I, I think I live in the Midlands now, and I think there's a club not too far away from here that uh, I think he might be welcomed back. I, I think you're right. I went to a game between that club and Crystal Palace once and actually, and the, the current manager at the time was a Mr. Alan Pardew and the, the West Brom man, uh, fans were singing louder for Roy Hodgson than they were for Pardew. So I think that Well, uh, I was at that game as well. Were you? Yeah. I was there, yeah. Quite entertaining, was, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, I think that gave you an insight into how, but I think that's the same with Roy. You listen to, you know, some of the biggest managers in the world, Pep Guardiola, whenever we play City, Jose Mourinho. These guys talk about Roy like, they are the pupils and he's the teacher. He is respected by everybody. Yeah, and that says a lot, doesn't it? No sort of characters that look up to him or, you know, listen to him. And I think that says an awful lot about the guy. Yeah, me too. Um, it's going to be a big summer. 12 players out of contract. Hopefully some of those will get renewed. We, don't, we obviously haven't heard about that yet. And obviously a new manager to come in. You got any thoughts about who you'd like it to be? Uh... I had a few, like uh, Chris Coleman, I, I love Chris Coleman, you know, he's a former teammate and obviously he's, he was a former player. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. But <laughs> the, then there's Frank Lampard. I, I think I've been in his company a few times and he's just, he's a footballing man mm. and he loves it. And he, he's got no ego about him. For all he's done in the game, he, he can talk to the guys, you know, your, your, your Wills and to the the kids that are just coming up and I think somebody like him who's just starting his career in management I think that would be a good a good match it's whether um, he's looking at maybe an international sort of position under 21s have been mentioned but we'll see it's going to yeah. be interesting like you say though well, it's going to be, yeah, it's very much like after four years of kind of uh, solidity and sort of everything going, you know, quite calmly, it's very much back on the Crystal Palace roller coaster, isn't it? It is. And I think it, it is careful what you wish for. I mean, a lot of fans have been saying, 
you know, the style of play this and the style of play, you know, that. And I think you can understand that everybody wants to see exciting football, but I think premiership football is where you want to be. And Roy's done a tremendous job fulfilling that year in, year out. And he's given a, a great platform for the next guy to come along. So, you know, everything's pretty solid. It'd be, it would be nice still. I've always thought it'd be nice to see the, the ground develop and, and give the, the players the surrounding the premiership deserves really. Well, they're getting there slowly. I think they're in good hands with Steve and the, the, all the all the board. So, fingers crossed they, they make the right choice. <laughs> Same I'm here. Available. <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> as long as it's after the tour, then yeah, they after, can... <laughs> straight off the bike ride, I'll be in. <laughs> uh, but you're right about about Coleman. Palace do love an ex-name coming back. We've had it numerous times in the last couple of years. There's something about the ex-players that Palace. As a club and fans, just love to bits. Yeah, especially that era as well. My year and the year after Gareth Southgate's era as well. You know, I think the fans took to them players, and I think that I think they're all still a part of the club anyway. And uh, yeah, I think Chris is such a. He's got so much experience as well. Obviously, being an international manager as well, his his contacts are be far reaching as well. So yeah. It is a case of watching this space with not a clue who it's going to be. <laughs> uh, that's very much the Palace way. Um, Jeff, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Best of luck with the Tour 21 and the website. If you'd like to get involved in that auction of match-worn Palace shirts signed by the players is sliderstock.com forward slash Palace shirts. And that closes at 9pm this Sunday, the 23rd of May after the Liverpool game. So keep an eye on that and get involved as soon as possible. Jeff, uh, thanks for talking and all the best with the tour. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you so much to Jeff for that. Um, after the break, if you're listening on the public feed, we're going to go into a clip from the Pod Extra, which is available at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. And if you're listening on the Patreon feed, we're going to straight into part four, which is questions. <laughs> It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. We talked about this before the game, didn't we, JD? Where it's the match day experience as a fan isn't just about watching the football. It's about going to the pub, meeting some friends, having a chat about life, and just kind of, you know, just being around like-minded people. And that actually, for me, in terms of just, I think in terms of mental health, it helps being around people that you that you really like and that you have something very in common with but it's also the avenue to talk about loads of other things and and you can catch up on on all the things that are going on in your life and and I've missed that I think we've all missed that a little bit and then being able to stand 
in the Homesdale next to you and celebrate that goal. It was brilliant. It was socially, a really socially distant. Socially distant. Yeah. Um, it was brilliant not hugging you. It was brilliant holding you at an arm's length. We did it, yeah. We, you know, it was really good do, having a no contact celebration. We, in no way did we get contacted. I'm glad you enjoyed your experience. So I tried a very expensive scene in the director's box and I had to tell Dom when I came in. I had a bit of a set to with a bloke next to me who drank too much red wine and wouldn't shut up for 90 minutes. <laughs> was it <bright>? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, the, uh, he spent most of the time leaning all over me during the oh, game. God. So uh, yeah, it wasn't the best. Um, but it was. It, 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 Dom, you were in the, the Arthur Weight stand. Mm. What was it like for you? I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, I missed not having. You know, I was a single ticket. I, I, my mate, I could see my mates. I could see my brother um, in the White Horse Lane, but I wasn't with them. So. And, and I'll be honest as well. the The majority of times I go to football matches, obviously in my life, I'm in a press box, mm. and there is a a camaraderie there. You don't you don't hug each other, socially distance, etc. Uh, when a goal goes in, but you, there is a level of you know certainly conversation, but also joking around and banter. A bit, Have you, you ever over celebrated a Palace goal in the press box? Um, you know, there is like an unspoken rule. Oh yeah, um, I I I once. Oh God! Um, when uh, we won at Anfield in the FA Cup, um, when uh, Dougie was sent off, I think actually yeah, Julian Gray scored and Stefan Onsho. I was sitting next to Paul Newman of the Palace Trust fame, the independent I had sports a editor at the time. Conversation about two weeks ago with the goalkeeper of Palace that night, actually, who was. Cedric Bertolone? Yes, yeah. currently the goalkeeping coach of Chalois in the Belgian Youth mm-hmm. League. There you go. This is the nerdiest. There was definitely a punch of the, the, under, the, under the desk. I think I might have punched accidentally, punched Paul. Um, and then at Brighton in the semi-final, yeah. I punched I Graham Moody <laughs> by accident, which is a great shame because he's a lovely fellow. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, but I, I was so, I was a very, very, very late call up and I'm very very appreciative to Harriet at the club for for pointing me in the direction of a of a ticket for tonight but the I just wanted to be there because I just I just thought Roy I wanted to be there for the accolades that Roy would get I wanted to I wanted to hear the reception he got I wanted to hear his speech um post-match um and I was I was genuinely touched that there was a guard of honour. I, I hadn't expected yeah. that. I thought that was an excellent, excellent that Arsenal agreed to do that. There's no reason why Arsenal yeah. should should do that. Um, but I think it just demonstrates the amount of respect there is out there for him yeah. amongst people like Mikel Arteta. I mean, Jose Mourinho has come out on Instagram and, and talked about the legend that is Roy Hodgson. And I think that is shared around the football community within football people respect the longevity and and the reality that to, to stay at the in the game for 45 years you have to be bloody good at your job and he is stop talking nonsense old dinosaur i don't know what he's doing <laughs> you know i think i think i also think palace what are you gonna do when he's not oh, no, well, they, well, they, well, they, well, <laughs> well they might realize then one day i also think it? Palace do deserve some credit for helping to rehabilitate his reputation somewhat after the England debacle. Because at the time, it wasn't that Roy wasn't someone that people, that clubs wouldn't appoint, but he'd had a really tough time as as England manager. And that Iceland defeat really kind of uh, undermined his kind of credibility somewhat after being actually quite a good England manager, apart from when it got to, I think, apart from when it got to the tournaments. I thought he he had... The, the roughest spell 
of any England manager in recent history where he had virtually not a single player at the peak of their powers. Yeah. Joe Hart was actually probably the only player at the peak of his powers, and that didn't turn out great, did it? Yeah. Um, and the rest of them were either all on the way down yeah, or they were yeah. a little bit young yeah. and inexperienced. He yeah. didn't. He certainly didn't inherit a golden age of top talent, I don't think, really. You know, he. I felt a bit sorry for him in that respect. And, you know, it, it wasn't a great... Um, England team and in fairness to him Rob I think also coming and inheriting a team like Palace where everybody thought we'd be relegated and couldn't score a goal he well and truly put his nuts on the block didn't he really because a lot of people wouldn't have fancied the job and uh, he did it with relative ease in the end didn't he he did. It took a while. I mean, I think we should probably just talk about Roy's career somewhat at Palace because, you know, really to annoy JD, he needs to go home, so we might as well extend the podcast. Sorry, as we sorry, can. sorry, you punters that are playing <laughs> JD's. He's got a long drive. Um, but but Roy, Roy's Palace career has been one of, of solidity and, and it's been challenging at times, but there's never really been a moment where Palace have looked like relegation fodder. Um, and you, that, that's you know there have been spells where results have looked kind of a little bit iffy, but then we always manage to turn it round. And this season is another example of that. I think we're now what seventeen points, or t- I don't know how many 16, points, sixteen, 16 points now, clear yeah. of the bottom, so, bottom three. You know, but this is the thing. Like I think people kind of forget that ultimately when it when when it mattered, Palace pulled out the results that they needed to. The other thing to bear in mind is, I mean, Selzy mentioned that that win at Newcastle on February the second. That was the day that Palace were mathematically safe from relegation. Is that right, is it? February the 2nd. We're used to that every with year. With 16 games still to play. That's almost half a season still to play. And Palace actually had accrued enough points to stay in the division. Um, uh, quite remarkable. And, and we haven't been in the relegation zone since March 2018. I mean, that's, again, considering where we were after the first seven games of that, that season... Pointless, rudderless, um, scarred by the De Boer experiment. Um, a lot of doubts out there. Not so, not so much amongst the fan base, but I think there's a lot of scepticism about Roy post Iceland. Still, yeah. the hangover from there, and he's just he's just stabilised everything, um, and and offered Palace something that we've never ever had in our history. Mm. Just just that. That mid-table security. There's an issue with that, obviously, because if you we we craved mid-tables for ages, and then we achieve it, and obviously the ambition then becomes what, what's the next step, and we haven't been able to do that, and that that's tied in with all the things that we talk about every week. That's investment. That's that's building a future. That's planning ahead, um, and buying into those plans, and that's what hasn't quite clicked, but. I don't think anybody could ever... In normal circumstances, you could, you'd look at it and think, wow, he's just given this incredible platform for the next man because this club is a mid-table team now. Yeah. The, the problem is that whoever comes in does not inherit that team um, and inherits a, a team that needs major surgery, it inherits a star player that's just had major surgery and and another star player who is likely to want to leave. And it's a, it, that, again, becomes a hell of a task. It's a bit of a storm, isn't it? Um, made worse by the dark clouds of Eze's injury, which we heard about uh, this morning, today. You, you broke the story, basically, um, with Eze. Did you uh, break the story, Dom? 
David Ornstein and, uh, oh, well. and the Athletic and the... And Dom Fifield, Dom the Fifield. Dom Fifield of the Athletic. You did well, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, it, 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 it's a real shock and a real disappointment for uh, Eberiche as a... After such a good season and we after all that kind of talk about how this season will have helped to build him up for next season and, and it just... It's a, it's a shock for him, but it's also a massive problem for Palace because that means they now have to find an additional attacking midfielder. And that's, there, that's there's, there's, that... there's the positive spin because we're actually going to have to go and buy a replacement, mm. which means when he comes back, we'll have a proper squad with some proper players yeah. in it. I mean, that is, so I'm, yeah. that's the silver lining to the dark cloud for me. They're, yeah. they're forced now into, into doing something because... That you can't lose a player of of his quality and his ability to go past people and not replace him. And I think uh, you know the, the, there's such a massive amount of work to do. You just wonder, you know, based on our previous transfer windows, how that's actually going to get done. If you're going to put a bet on a team that ha- having to sign the most number of players this summer you really would do well to, to put it on Palace, but then you also might lose your money because you know it's Palace. <laughs> I think that's part of the problem, yeah. isn't it, JD? Yeah, I mean, history doesn't uh, play particularly well for Palace there, I guess. I don't know, it's going to be a very interesting summer. I'm I'm feeling quite nervous about it, to be totally honest. <laughs> there's, there's, so, there's so many big decisions that they have to make this summer, and they have to get them right. I don't know if you saw the... Story that's circulating. Have you seen that on the internet this evening from Football Insider? Oh, well, oh that the, trusted uh, website. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Football Insider are suggesting that uh, there is a, a boardroom rift involving the sporting director and the chairman over who should become the next manager of Crystal Palace. <sighs> We're going to get a lot of this, aren't we? We're going to get a lot of this until they until they announce it. I was, I thought Steve. I genuinely thought Steve was going to say a few words tonight after Roy, but I was half hoping he was going to like announce Dougie Friedman was manager just to see what the reaction would be like from the six thousand fans. If we were doing, it would have been absolutely hilarious. Can you imagine? Um, well, if you cast your mind back to that season in the Championship when we uh, won four games out of twenty-five, I can't remember the fear being particularly attractive with David Wright playing in the centre of midfield and things like that. But uh, was that, that was, Rob, was that the year that Jason Banton started DM, DMing us on Twitter saying, <laughs> I can't believe he's playing J- David Wright tonight, today, it's ridiculous. And we were like, Jason, we, we, don't, we can't do anything. <laughs> we're, we, we have, we're, not, we're not your employer. Is, oh dear. That was a very weird time. Twitter was a different place in Twitter, those days. Yeah. <laughs> Right, welcome back to the Fiber Plan podcast. Hey. hey, I think I'm going to call it the Kodak moment. I quite like that, JC, mm. from earlier. That's nice. Yeah, and I think it makes us sound quite intelligent, quite businessy as well, which is a, a vibe the pod has not had for a while. So let's go down that route. Um, obviously, it's time for questions. We have covered a lot of people's questions in part one and two. We had a lot of questions about uh, about Roy in particular and about being back at Selhurst, but. Something we touched upon briefly, Jack, in the first couple of parts, which we have had a lot of questions about, is Eberetche Eze and what that injury means now for Palace. And I can see from your face that it's it's, it's not going to be a positive one at all. Let's pick a couple of questions out. Uh, at Johnny Thatch, 
Hi, Johnny Thatch. Hi, Johnny Thatch. Says, do we go for permanent replacement for Eze Wise out, or do you think we're looking at the loan market? Ray F. Purchase has suggested Ruben Loftus-Cheek as a potential <laughs> to cover Eze. I feel like his name, until he joins Palace permanently, Ruben's name will always be mentioned on this podcast until he retires at the age of 35. <laughs> um, and then Mike Phillips won and said, how much does the Eze injury alter transfer or even manager plans to the summer? All the best to Roy for the club for what he's done to the club, true gentleman of football. We're still getting Roy accolades, even in different parts of the pod. What do you think, Jack? As as where, where should Palace go on 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 this on the back of this essay news? I was genuinely gutted when I saw the story. Um, like, actually, stayed with me for like a good couple of hours of you know realizing that I was still feeling down, calculating why I'm feeling down, and it's because of Abrici Eze having a, a very bad injury in training on Monday. And it's going to have a monumental effect on on, on the playing stuff. I, you know, I, I think Dom said earlier that he has become the fulcrum uh, for this Palace team, particularly since he's been moved centrally. Um, I think his first season in the Premier League really couldn't have gone much better than it has done. He's played more games than I thought he would do. His impact has been more positive than I thought it would be. Um, he has just been a real shining light. And at times... A, a rather dull season because of everything that's that's going on. You know, it's been difficult to be too excited. But uh, you know, friends of mine who support other clubs have noticed him and and just said what a what an absolute star you've got. So he is going to be a huge miss um, because of that pivotal role that so many of us anticipated him having next season. <clears throat> In terms of replacing him, you know, it depends how set the club are. And this, this feeds back to the, you know, the conversation in the last part between JC and Dom about how set Palace are on particular targets, the sporting director model, everything. But how we replace Eze in the squad really does depend how tied we are to other targets, I guess. Um, if we do have people in mind for other positions, it makes sense to go for the loan market, perhaps Nadamola Lookman to, to add to the attacking um, the attacking group that we have. But again, he plays more you know, on the, on the, on the flank rather than playing centrally where Eze's played. Loftus-Cheek is a name that I had mentioned at the ground last night. And, and, and as you say, JD, he's he's permanently going to be linked with Palace because of his successful time with us a few years ago. But he is a prime example of someone who suffered a horrendous Achilles injury who has taken a very long time to come back to the, the player that he was, you know, presenting on loan at Palace. You know, there, there was a player there and, and he hasn't really done anything at Fulham this season. And I don't think he would have done anything at Fulham this season that would make any Premier League club pay what Chelsea would want and certainly invest in the level of wages that Ruben Loftus-Cheek is, is currently on. So there's a big question about Loftus-Cheek. He's got decisions to make himself, whether he wants to go back to Chelsea and fight or you know, just accept that he's going to be on the, the loan carousel for the next few seasons. Um, so, so I really don't know. But I think one thing it, it has done, and he had a very, very good game for us last night, um, was, was Andrus Townsend. And I, I do think Eze's injury perhaps will increase the, the likelihood of, of Andros getting a, an extension because of the fact that we now need to to cover costs in another area of the squad that we didn't think we were going to do. And if he carries on playing like he has done um, for, for the last few appearances he's made, uh, I don't have a problem with that. I think he, he's been excellent. And he also, he also clearly has a really positive impact around the squad. He's a real talker. I, I watched the Villa game on, on my phone uh, the other day and it, it defaults to Sky Sports Premier League and it had none of the crowd effects. He was the loudest voice in the Palace team for the whole game. I don't know if Don's heard him actually at matches. I know James McArthur's been very loud in, in the crowd, but, but Andrew seems a real vocal member of the team when he's on the pitch. And um, 
yeah, I, I don't think there's any bad thing if, if Andros and the club agree perhaps reduce terms in terms of what he's currently on. I think there needs to be conversations about that. And it probably would be a one-year deal on offer at max for him, given his given his age and, and the club wanting to perhaps change change uh, direction. But yeah, I could see the Eze injury having a, a positive impact in terms of Andros perhaps staying at Palace next season. Yeah, I thought I thought Andros he caught my eye last night. He, he seemed like he was sort of playing as a man who didn't have a contract off from the table and was maybe playing to earn one. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And he had that fantastic touching moment at the end where he wore Eze's number 25 shirt as they were doing the very reluctant lap of honour at the end. But that was nice. And I think that shows the sort of the, me- the measure of Andros Townsend as a man. I think he is someone that is, is in tune with the emotions of the squad and the emotions of the group and, He's, he's a bright individual, and I think actually you need players like that in your in your squad. Uh, but again, it depends on, I guess, Palace's approach to the multiple players that are out of contract. Um, Dom, what do we think is the SA injury is going to have any impact on how Palace approaches summer, or is it purely waiting for the this the manager thing to be sorted first? No, it will definitely have an effect. I mean, I think I think Palace will be. If there is a silver lining it's that this injury has happened at the right time and as much as there are six weeks without any games at all um where he can start his rehab uh if it happened on you know the first week weekend in september next season they would have been even more in trouble yeah uh, once the transfer window is closed They're, they can enter the market they can they can find replacements and there are there will be replacements out there um won't be easy but there are people I mean you only have to look at the other some of the other games last night and Pereira was doing quite well for for West Brom he might be a potential but then I I don't know whether relations between Crystal Palace and West Brom which I'll be in a particularly good at the moment given the Nathan Ferguson furore Mm. um you know it's at least they've got an opportunity to act on it now um and and to do something about it but it will have changed the emphasis and 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 priorities in their in their plans for the summer, um, and they're going to have to properly wheel and deal. And I, I agree with Jack. I mean, with Andros, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be an offer now. There has to be an offer now. Um, you just you just look around it and think there are certain things that they can do that that will tie them over until they can attack this again um, next summer or or in eighteen months' time. And and if they could tie down Andros and they could get Christian Benteke over the line, and I don't think that would be easy, but if they could do that, then that's two less things to worry about. Yeah. Uh, the, the the frustrating thing about Eze was that he had just got into that number eight position in the in the four four one four one formation and was just making it his home in the last few months and looked so good. It really was sort of pointing towards a very exciting season last season but uh we wish him all the best obviously from everyone at fyp that he recovers because as jack said i mean he was the one i think we were all looking forward to seeing play last night he was the guy that that would be drawing the crowds next season and obviously that's going to be different now but uh, we do wish him the best i popped in i was at loftus road kind prince foundation stadium last friday and with les ferdinand and Les Ferdinand and two other members of staff came up and said, how's Eze doing? How's Ebbs doing? How's he doing? How's this kid is loved wherever he goes. He's the nicest person out there. And for this to happen to him is insanely cruel. Yeah. Insanely cruel. I felt the same as Jack. It was, 
it's just the worst possible news. And put the Crystal Palace loyalty behind you. Just think on a on a human level. Yeah. This is dreadful, dreadful news for the mm-hmm. kid. And uh, yeah, we hope he just rec- makes a full full recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, on that theme, JC, we had a question from Alex Sonisforu. Hope I got that right. Hello, Alex. After four years of stability and safety, and now the Roy's news of Roy leaving, Eze's injury, and player contract situations, do the pod think we are firmly back on the Palace roller coaster? <laughs> All aboard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think at the moment we are on potentially on a roller coaster, but the roller coasters have got also ups as well as downs, and I'm just hoping that we're going <laughs> to um, have have some 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 ups. I think you know, I, I Jack and Dot, I, I was really feeling sick about Eze yesterday. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was going through the whole bereavement of Roy, and then and then having to deal with the Eze news, um, and also Eze in the last few games was signifying a style of football that Roy maybe wanted to p- start playing, you know, as well. Yeah. And that's come to, that's come to a shuddering kind of end all round. Um, I also feel now that one key player is going to be Schlupp next season to keep fit, because mm. although he's not an Eze, he definitely offers that drive in midfield who can yeah. score goals and be direct and get into the box and cause hassle, hassle and make tackles and do that. So that, that that's where I came away from the game yesterday, thinking that Schlupp is going to be mm. also a key player for us next season. Hazel is a great word, by the way. That sounds like a sort of soccer am Well, I think we should try and work Hazel, that into the yeah. Hazel, think, what does it mean? What do we think yeah, it means? I have no idea. It's my, I'm blaming it on my teeth. The fact <laughs> <laughs> I know he, 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 he hassles midfielders with an element of dazzle. Yeah, that's what hazel, I'm, I'm getting hazel, with dazzle. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. He hassles hazel. with dazzle. Yeah. I reckon that suits Schlupp, Hazel. He's I think a that's bang on. A Hazel style player. I might, that might be I, my I, nickname. I have to say about, just about Schluppy, I, I love Schluppy. I think he's one of the most underrated players at the club, if not across the whole league, to be honest. I think Jeff Schlupp is a, is a proper Premier League footballer. But I'm looking ahead to next season. I'm glad he's had this run of games because I still feel he's getting back to full fitness. And obviously his fitness will drop with the preseason and come back up again. But the game time he's had um, since his return to the end of the season will be really important because he does strike me as one of those players who does need games to get back into himself. Um, and there were moments last night where I looked at him and I felt he's still kind of adapting back to Premier League. Because, I mean, that was a three three or four-month absence after that Sheffield United injury. And at that point in the Sheffield United game, he was flying. He was playing really, really well. So um, I, I hope that, uh, that Schlupp... 21-22 is all the better for this kind of end to, to 2021. Completely agree. And he returns with Hazel in the Palace midfield. I've really enjoyed that word. Um, final final questions are around Christian Benteke because that is another question, Mark, as one of you guys alluded to earlier. Another goal. That's four in four. Ten for the season now. I mean, he's essentially back to 2016-17 Christian Benteke. Croydon, Croydon in exile. Um, says, what do we do about Benteke? PC Wire says, Benteke for player of the season. And then we've had a question from someone who calls himself at Benteke's baby. Oh. Yeah. Make of that what you you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, Benteke scored 10 goals, but he didn't manage his first or start a game until December. If we play to his strengths under a manager like Deich, so Benteke's baby nailing their colours to the mast, could we have a 15-20 goal a season striker on our hands? Dom, it's just it's another in the latest line of question marks, isn't it? But in many ways, it's a good question mark. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's like it's, it's really difficult. This one, isn't it? It's impossible, really, because as as was pointed out last night, 
if if Palace had offered Christian Benteke maybe a year with an a, an option on a further year around November December time, then the outrage would have been <laughs> yeah, yeah. unbearable. But actually, by not doing that, they'll probably have to pay him a hell of a lot more money if they want to keep him now and, and want to convince him. Because I, I do think that there are there will be other London Premier League clubs that, that quite fancy the idea of Christian Benteke in their squad, even as a plan B. And if Benteke... Benteke may look at the, the chance to go to Arsenal or Tottenham or West Ham or even Chelsea, really, as and be back up to a, a first-choice striker as probably quite acceptable because it's an elite club. It's a, it's a top level. They're going to be Champions League games, potentially, or Europa League games. Lots of fixtures. He probably would play 20, 25 matches, which is, I think he's had 20, 25 starts for Palace this season. If you're playing at a higher level, it's probably do his chances of playing international football and extending that career beyond the Euros um, to the World Cup next year. It would do it good. So Palace are going to, they're going to have to, doing a remarkable sales pitch now and i hope i hope it's it's i hope he just feels that there's a bond there at some level with the club I, i'm not going to pretend that he's going to have this great relationship with the hierarchy because the hierarchy have made it very clear at various points over the last 18 months two years that actually he doesn't have a future at crystal palace football club um and now they're going to have to go back there with their begging bowls and 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 try and try and convince him that that he should stick about but his his celebration from the goal against Arsenal with the with the two and the five and the that's yeah. for you, bro, to the camera. I think yeah. that that does illustrate that there is a bond there at some level um, with the group that he's been playing with. We just got to hope that enough of those players that he's he's friendly with and and close to will still be around next season as well. It's so mad that we're now sort of praying that Benteke stays we spent the whole whole last couple of years what do we do with Benteke I mean on the flip side if if they had offered him that contract back in October would we have got the Benteke in the latter part of the season I, th- I think don't know I think we would have done I mean he's I, I just don't see Benteke as the type of player who's just playing for a contract or you know they're, they're, there's enough stuff going on there's the Euros coming up he has to you know yeah. I mean it's I think the typical palace scenario with Benteke will be that he leaves but we give Wickham a new contract (laughs) (laughs) surely not sure whether Benteke was one of those players that benefited from not having supporters in the stadium for a while just yeah maybe build his contract Mm. uh, yeah confidence rather maybe well we do Mateta of course for next season um Jack uh Benteke player of season not player of the season, but I have to say last night he was scaring the living daylights out of two centre-halves. You know, one of the bonuses of of being in the White Horse last night was my proximity to the pitch. I'm a little bit higher where I normally am in the Homesdale. And there, there was one moment where Rob Holding kind of looked back to Leno as if to be like, like he's given me the absolute murder tonight. And, and he was absolutely battering two Premier League, I won't go overboard on Gabrielle and Rob Holding, but they're two Premier League centre-halves. Um, and uh, he just absolutely tore them apart. And he's a he's very he's very much a confidence player. It seems to me. I've always felt mm. that about Benteke, even when he was at Villa. When he's hot, he's hot. And when he's not, he's not. And at the moment, he's about as hot as it gets. I can't think of a of a striker who does what he does as well as he does. I mean, maybe Calvert Lewin in terms of his of his leap and and his dominance over centre halves. But Benteke's interplay last night was great. I mean, he, he, the work he did for Schlupp's chance, where Schlupp took a really good 
early effort and, and led to a Leno save, um, I think when we were one down. But that play was absolutely brilliant. And I wouldn't want to put an estimate on a cost to replace a striker in that form of that quality. Um, and I think it would probably spend most of that 60 million that Don mentioned earlier to to get a striker as good as that with the bonus of maybe getting him a bit younger so you've got him for the longer term. And as I said last week, what he has that Mateta certainly hasn't got at the moment is just that Premier League certified fitness, which means he's ready to go and he's 90 minutes if you need him. I know he went off last night with uh, what looked like a, a muscle strain or something like that, which makes him a doubt for, for Sunday. But yeah, he, he was absolutely exceptional last night and has been, you know, since really the turn of Christmas, he's been really getting back to this best. But now, as you all say, I, I do fear that the, the alternative options on the table for him will be tempting. You know, whether it's the size of the club, the size of the stadium, the option of European football, um, and and the fact that some of those clubs have deeper pockets than us mean that, you know, even if we were to offer what he's currently on, someone else might come in and, and top that just for another year or two. So we shall see. I really hope we do see him next season because what we've seen the last few weeks and months has been top, top quality Premier League striker. I totally agree. Oh, well, the good news is, guys, uh, it does mean there'll be plenty for us to talk about throughout the summer in terms of Palace. So we, the well won't be dry in that regard for us. Speaking of which, thank will, you very I w- much. I wish it was a bit drier. I just wish it was a bit drier. <laughs> it's going to be too much to talk about. <laughs> no such thing. Um, let's take a quick break then. And after that, well, thank you, everyone, for your questions. Uh, we're going to preview Palace's final game of the season away at Liverpool. Welcome back to part 35, I can't, I've lost count, of the FYP podcast. Uh, It's our final game of the season, JC, away at Liverpool. Palace, nothing to play for. Liverpool, I haven't checked the table, but I think top four is still on for them. I think, I'll be honest, I don't really care. I've sort of, after Wednesday night, I've sort of checked out really with actually on the pitch stuff. Do you care about this game? Does anyone care about this game from a Palace perspective? I do for for two reasons. One of which is we could humiliate Liverpool and prevent <laughs> them from. Uh, I don't even think we should laugh. I think we should make it our standpoint. Any yeah. team that tries to start and go into the Super League deserves yeah. To yeah. as much humiliation as possible. The second point is if we lose and Brighton win, Brighton end above us <gasps> this this season. And I've got a theory that even if Palace won the league. But we lose against Brighton in a game. The Palace manager should still give a public apology <laughs> in, 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 in Box Park. Even if we, and I, I, so, so I think that the season would be uh, an immense failure if we end up below Brighton. So I will be watching this game with my kind of life on the line. Blimey. Um, who, there you go. There who you. are uh, not the response I was expecting, but a very enjoyable one. So, who have Brighton got on the last day then? Arsenal away. Well, that won't be easy for them. I well, mean, they won last season. <laughs> brilliant. Um, I mean, to be honest, Dom, most seasons, or certainly in the last couple of years, you'd think this would be a very tricky tie for Palace, and, uh, and it has been. We've been sort of trounced there the last few times. But this current Liverpool team are actually really hard to work out. So there is, there's sort of genuinely a chance that Palace could go there and get something. So, Jody, are you drunk? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I might be. I am sleep deprived. I am very <laughs> sleep deprived. So it, it might be that talking. Yeah. I, I, look, if Palace get a 
point at Anfield on Sunday, then then the board should should get down on their hands and knees and give Roy Hodgson an extra five year contract and as much money. I'm as so you. glad you said five year contract. I that was <laughs> it's just yeah. Um, I, look, this is the one time this season that Liverpool are in form. The first time that they think there'll be this will be four wins on the bounce if they win on on Sunday. Ah, crap. The first time they've been they've actually got something to play for. They know that if they don't win this game, they can lose out on Champions League football, albeit a competition as you, as JC makes makes the point that they didn't want to be in three weeks ago, but now they're desperate to be in. This is their entire season. Jurgen Klopp's come out and said this is their cup final against Crystal Palace on Sunday. Oh, Palace go there without Eze, without Benteke probably, with with uh, poor Joel Ward still dizzied after Kearney and Saka have been tearing at him for an evening in midweek. And, and you know, I mean, I, I, I think it'll be really, really tough. <laughs> okay, let me rephrase that question to Jack then and I'll do it as if I'm talking to Andy Street. <laughs> How? The Palace go to Anfield and get a point that's needed to stay above Brighton? Um, <laughs> I, I, can't, I just can't say. I think Liverpool have done a, a good enough job to get it back in their own hands. Um, and Leicester, again, have, have, have kind of, I know obviously the FA Cup aside uh, last week, but they have, again, kind of struggled towards the end of the season, which has allowed Liverpool to creep back in and um, and it's in their destiny. So, yeah, I, I do expect Liverpool to to do a, a job on us on, on on Sunday. I think they're playing well enough now to to, to deal with most teams at home. And obviously, they went through that phase early in the season um, where where they you know didn't do enough against uh, many teams in a, a sequence of home defeats. But you know they've got their fans back for the first time in a long time back on on Sunday. So I'm sure they'll oh, want to yeah. put a a show on it's the there. first time um, since they won the blooming league, isn't it? They'll have. They'll... Is it really? Did they not have a chance no, they, they must, in maybe, December? Maybe they did have. Yeah, they must have had a few. In maybe, but again, but it'll be more people that didn't have the chance in, yeah. in December. You know, and it'll be a bigger crowd than they had in December. So, uh, uh, unfortunately, for uh, you know, you dare say there probably won't be. Uh, you know, a guard of honour for Roy at Anfield. I, I think the locals might have a bit of an issue with that, which is a shame, but I'm sure there will be, um, you know, uh, a, a warm applause for him and, and certainly kind words from Jürgen Klopp, who spoke very fondly of Roy yeah. um, this week after Roy's announcement. But I, I am fearful that Roy's top flight managerial career will end with a rather damp defeat at Anfield on um, on on Sunday. To be fair, JC, they did only beat West Brom with their goalkeeper scoring a 95th minute header, which I'm sure Baggy's fans were calling typical West Brom on their respective um, podcasts. Uh, but yes, I am willing to accept now uh, with the evidence presented in front of me that this is going to be a very difficult game. So we're basically, JC, relying on Arsenal doing us a favour. You know, Arsenal are in the same position because they're going to have fans in the stadium and their fans, I don't think, like Arsenal very much at the moment. So there might be that kind of, we're going to actually have to try and give the fans a little sense of what next season might be about. Mm. So hopefully they turn up. Um, Brighton are a good footballing team, but they haven't got that player who's going to hassle their mm. centre-backs like Benteke did. So, you know, look, I'll take a loss at Anfield as long as Brighton don't win. Good. Okay. Well, I guess then it's it's come on Arsenal this weekend. Forget Palace. Come on, come on, you Gunners. Oh, that that sounds weird. That sounded really weird saying it. That felt odd. Awesome. Really Ed, edit that out. Get that out of there. We don't need that. You, you nah. sound like a YouTuber. <laughs> well, you said I looked like a YouTuber earlier. So, God knows. For I need to go back to bed. Um. Anyway, guys, I think that is. <laughs> 
a time to wrap up the podcast. We are knocking on the door of a two-hour podcast today. Once I add in the, I was other... going to say, given how long this has gone on for, it's possible that the match at Anfield actually taken place by now. So, uh, what was the score? What a magnificent two-one away win for you! <laughs> I can't believe we won. I didn't see it. <laughs> oh, oh guys, has got a cracking win. <laughs> Um, Connor Wickham's earned himself a new contract with two goals in the last 10 minutes. What a legend. <laughs> Typical Palace. Um, Typical Palace. Guys, thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy talking to you there. We've covered so many bases as well, but um, I really, really, really appreciate your time tonight. Um, I hope that our listeners have enjoyed that because there's been a lot to discuss and there will be much more to discuss over the coming months as well. So stick with us at FYP because we'll be covering everything as and when it happens. But in the meantime, JC, thank you very much for coming back. Thank lovely so much. And, and well done this season you've been fantastic all of you it's been great listening to the pod that's very kind thank you very much uh jack good to see you mate and uh enjoy that looks like a new office is it a new office of some sort it's not my office i've been allowed in here on temporary temporary <laughs> basis I, I better get out of here before i'm noticed <laughs> brilliant and uh dom i'm i'm sure i'll talk to you tomorrow at some point seeing as i'm talking yeah. every day this week yeah well yes uh, i'm definitely on sunday presumably after and that. on sunday yeah <laughs> Uh, good well anyway lads thank you very much and thank you to our listeners uh, thank you to our patrons as well we appreciate your support and if you want to join the patron it's patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast in the meantime enjoy the Liverpool game at the weekend if you can and uh, take care we'll see you again very soon Podcast Network.